This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi. Um, you're just coming in mid-conversation. I just decided I felt bad. Anyone who was going to watch this, I felt bad. You were going to get left out. So um, when a tradition has a, a full mystical element to it, that's see, the difference between that is that you can have an amazing tradition that's content-based, but it's always sub- it's going to be subject to the the wrath of history because things go wrong and and there's broken telephone and there's there's you know there's a lot of trouble especially with Jews because we have persecution so when you're when you have sorry I have a I think I have a mustache in my mouth when you have when you have, what can I do that's that's not staying in there so when you have um, when you have Content, a tr- sorry, tradition. I'm using wording in English, but you're having a masura that comes down through history, a tradition, like Judaism, for example, which is a tremendous amount of content. You know, it's really a gigantic amount of content. It's so it's always going to be subject to his, the wrath of history, which is for the Jews quite rough. So broken telephones coming in, and you're going to have all kinds of issues with that. Um, whereas uh, the the whether it be the prophetic or the mystical traditions are no longer content based. These are these are um, they're experiential in nature. Meaning it'd be like it'd be like telling someone about an incredible rock concert. You guys ever been to a, like a big rock concert, like large, twenty thirty thousand people at it? I yeah, I don't care if it's techno or it's whatever it is. But let's just say it was a highly experiential event, and and you were thirty thousand people having this kind of communal experience together at that event, and then later you try to explain that to someone. So that's going to get really hard to explain. But it but it's the truest thing that ever took place, and no one can ever take that away from you. And that's that's the nature of mystic mystical experience. Mystical experience is something you never could explain. You could spend from this moment to the rest of your life trying to explain it, and you'd never get halfway through. And our, our sages said it best when they said, if all the oceans were ink, and all the trees of the forest were quills, and all the... <sighs> uh, what was the parchment? All the... Was it the land? I forget what it was. Anyway. Start from the top. If all the seas were ink and all the trees were quills to write with, and all the somethings were the cloth. Yeah, the, the land. The land is the cloth. The land? Yeah. Anyway, we would never ever be able to begin to express what has been experienced through, you know, in our relationship to, through this mystical tradition that takes place. Now, um, and for that reason, why are we on this subject is because sometimes you will find uh, certain rabbis that will say throughout our tradition who are not so hooked up to the Kabbalistic tradition that leaves fall off a tree and land randomly. Why exactly? I'm not sure. Maybe because it doesn't matter so much. You know, it's leaves coming off a tree. Where those same rabbis would never say that a human being that fell off a tree is going to land randomly. He's not landing randomly. The leaves are going to land randomly. Whereas those who've been involved and have interfaced with the mystical have, know for a fact that there's, there, there's no tree and there are no new leaves, really. That we are all part of some kind of other system that's, that is purely spiritual-based. And, and those, the leaves you're seeing flowing off the tree... You know, and falling to the earth are 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 really just vibrationally flowing through the air, and and they're being created via this vibrational energy. And listen to this very carefully. This is the important part. Why you'll know this? Meaning, it's not my opinion. You'll know this as a fact. Is that is that we know enough physics today in quantum physics? to know, and also even uh, just basic understanding of what's called elocus, which means the divine in physicality, meaning God in physicality, which is called the divine, that, that there are no leaves, really. There, there, it's just somehow infinite in, is, 
is morphing into finite in the appearance of in the appearance of leaves flying in the wind and and the, where they land is also part of that divine it's all divine there's no the, there's nothing separate from the divine and so when it comes to things that are holy like Torah or, or the Kotel or Chala or Kiddush or things of sanctity Tefillin those are just concentrations of divinity that we'd know nothing about if it weren't for Torah but because of Torah it informs us where those pockets of divinity are extra high they're, they're like you know like focus spots of divinity but divinity is everywhere. It's in a brothel in Tel Aviv. There's divinity there. It's it's literally everywhere. It's just that some places it's highly covered over, and other places it's highly revealed. And by the way, just to mention one more thing, is it's our job, Luke, to thin out our experience of life, meaning meaning to thin out... When I mean by thin out, meaning some of us are a little thick... To the spiritual experience, but even if you're thinned out, the world still looks physical. But our job is to be as thin as possible in our relationship to the spirituality that's all around us. Meaning, meaning you want to be the least, the least stuck in physicality. And I get people in this room all the time who don't even believe in God. Meaning, talk about thick. What I mean by thick, by the way, I'm not talking about Judeo-Christian gods and stuff like what they talk about. That's never our discussion in my class, as you know. You know, we're talking about we're talking about something way more uh, achievable than some conceptual god from a university class or or some religious studies or something. You know, we're we're talking about as you perceive your own flesh, you perceive divinity. But I get people coming in here so far from that. That they, um, that that's how thick it's gotten. It's not their fault at all. They're just they were raised in Western Sale, and Westerners don't like going there so much. I don't understand what you mean by thick. Oh, thick! thick. I'm, and I'm coming to you, Luke. By the way, um, thick. What I meant by thick was uh, your name is Yechiel. Hi, welcome. So, um, what I meant by thick was that that we we think that things begin and end with the or the uh, initial physical world around us. We think that's the beginning and the end of everything. As opposed to it being the outer crust of some divine system. So you're talking about the reality, the, 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 our concept of reality. As, as being only skin deep, as opposed yeah. to it being the it is skin deep, but it's the outer crust, the outer skin of an incredible divine system. And we are dancing around in this outer skin of this divine system. And and that is, and and the Western society hasn't appreciated that very much, and things that give access to that they tend to persecute, meaning uh, meaning when when they when uh, Jews, for example, have been persecuted a lot, and one of the reasons is our mystical traditions are uncomfortable, and you'll notice also uh, mystical tradition throughout, meaning natives with mystical tradition have also been persecuted by the encroaching cities upon the uh, f- the jungles of Africa or the approaching the encroaching cities of South America encroaching upon and certainly the Native American has been de- you know the most encroached upon perhaps of anyone and and the uh, and not to mention for the the urban the urban spiritual traveler they've made illegal a lot of things you can ingest that would give you some direct access to uh to things meaning meaning the Western world is it's not just that they can influence you towards a much thicker way of looking at things, but but they can also have they can also persecute the traveler. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> that getting high gets you closer to God. Maybe you. I don't know about you know. I, I've noticed that everyone has a different relationship to to uh, you know plants and things like that. You know, I've some, seen some people do it, 
I've seen just start dancing around like lunatics for six hours. And you ask them later, what did they get? And they're like, I got really sore muscles. You know, and you ask someone else, and he's now, he's gone from uh, atheist to believer in a matter of half a day. So it's like, you understand? So I, I can't claim what anything would happen. You know, and by the way, they could switch the next time. Like the guy who had the mystical tradition could be dancing for six hours, and the guy who had the dancing for six hours is now having a full-on mystical experience. It's so, a very individual thing, I think. Yeah, it's not. I've, I've had a lot of experience with that. I have you? I'm a bit older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I actually study the Do you let our live? We got a couple of people watching. You let them watch? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It just makes it more more interesting yeah, for yeah. them. Yeah, we're on live. Get it. Yeah, What's your name again? Yechiel. Yechiel, yeah, you're on. Yechiel Shulman. Uh, yeah, I went to Yeshiva at Hatzion, which was known as the uh, Diaspora. Whoa, how long ago was that? Uh, that was in 1975. Uh-huh. And uh, the majority of the guys that went there that I knew uh, were from New York. And they all had uh, spiritual ecstatic uh, experiences on uh, LSD and other <laughs> other exotic uh, forms of hallucinogenic and they found God seriously right. not 90% of the people there at all uh, including myself excuse me uh, I found in my experience in the 70s when I was trying all this stuff that it was uh, and you can look at the Beatles when they were doing all their you know the experimentations Peppers experimentations went to India uh, found all the and I think most of the best rock songs were written on some form of you know and I think the best books were written on some form of something you know and uh, it really does it, in my experience uh, it either it really screws you up in some forms pardon the expression but it does with some people. They get a nervous breakdown or they even commit suicide. And so that's what I said. In, on an individual level, it can vary from person to person whether they're relaxed and open. If they're open to the experience, then it takes you somewhere else. If you're closed, then it closes you up even more. That's what I find is the whole thing. So you've got to be open to the experience, be relaxed and go with it. And it takes you to the most amazing places. That's nice. all I Nice, nice. Yeah, let's hear it. Come on, that was a, what kind of clapping was that? Wow, what a great, great guest! Amazing. Um, you won't say nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> I just spaced your name against Nate. No, it's Yechiel. Yechiel is my Hebrew name. What's your last name? Greener. Yechiel Greener. My, my Where are you English from? name is, I'm from here, I was born in Israel. Nice. Uh, but I went to live in Australia since I was seven, so Serious. my English name's Henry Greener, but mm-hmm. my Hebrew name, my rabbis called me Yechiel. Beautiful, welcome back. Thank you. You live here now, or are you? No, I'm making Aliyah in the next uh, forthcoming period. Nice, I think we'll be friends. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm too young, he told us. There. Anyway, the uh, but it is interesting. I got to, uh, I got to be, I got to have all those, all the people he described were my rabbis when I got here, and and, and they were. Oh, you were very right. The um, and uh, and interestingly, you know, just since you brought it up, I'll continue along with those lines. Is that is that one of the most amazing things happened on the. On this, when the counting of the Omer, you know, you know what the counting of the Omer is, Luke. Um, after Passover, you know, we just had a holiday called Shavuos. Yeah, the giving of the Torah. So that's a that's a day. That's a that's a count of forty nine days. So Passover, forty nine days, and then you get to the fiftieth level, which is the giving of the Torah. So those seven days, each day has a theme. Yeah, each day has a theme. And what happened in nineteen sixty seven? On the sixth week, on the sixth day of the sixth week was the six day war. On the sixth day of the sixth week was the six day war. Wow. Now, what happened in that war was was astounding because what happened was Israel was was uh, preempted an attack on all borders. Now, as you all know from Bibi's last speech, that we're really good at knowing when we're going to get attacked. So, <laughs> 
that's that's always been Israel's strong strong suit, you know, is knowing when they're going to get attacked. So it was basically the day they were attacking, and but we got in the air first, and when you get in the air first, and your neighbors are literally next door, you do pretty good. So we managed to double our territory in six days. But most importantly, is we got back our biblical territory, at least east west. We're not going to discuss the north; a little controversial. Um, but the but at least the east west borders we got back got back to Temple Mount, and uh, and the um, and that began because of the miracles of that war began what was the call back to Judaism after the Holocaust. So that was a, a major move. Now, what happened on that day is some other interesting things. That very same day was the first psychedelic rock album ever hit the market. It was called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was, uh, it was a, 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 a LSD-inspired album that was of pure psychedelic import. And, and people literally like locked themselves in their rooms and listen to that album over and over and over again throughout the world. And the uh, and w- um, the other thing that happened on that day, and it's a very interesting thing, and I actually spoke to someone who was in high school in 12th grade on that day, was that LSD, which had been studied and used in laboratories for therapy, was, uh, was l- kind of let out onto the streets. And so uh, um, one of my rabbis here in the old city was part of your gang probably, said that he was a 12th grader in high school at, on that day. And he said anywhere from L.A. to New York, teenagers were running around on this stuff and then burning their draft cards. Now, what does it have to do with, what does one have to do with the other? And the answer is, is that when people have mystical experiences, it, it, it takes away your ethnocentricity. You, you lose your ethnocentricity. The, the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Me versus you, the... Uh, the me and the other, me and the other. I was looking for the word other. Me, you as other than me, kind of disintegrates. And also nationalism goes away as well. As well, as well. Yeah. It uh, at least if it's false, mm-hmm. uh, you'll meet a lot of people who have uh, will have great ethnic pride, mm-hmm. but no hatred or jealousy nor uh, aggression. But there's nothing wrong with ethnic pride. You'll meet many a Jew. Who had that? Like all those rabbis that that were your buddies, but became my rabbis. They, um, they, their Jewish ethnicity didn't get washed out. In fact, it enhanced. But the us and them, yeah, it was enhanced very much, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the us and them disappears, and suddenly you're living for others. Well, living for what if the whole planet were living for others? What would the world look like today? Yeah, it would be one giant family. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that, that the countries of the modern world made it illegal? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. You know, they, they made these, chemi- these compounds because they come in many probably forms. probably also has different effects. What's that? Yeah, probably has a different effects on them. Yeah, it makes them What's destructive? If we put everyone on LSD at the same time. Oh, you've tried it? <laughs> maybe, maybe you should try it first and then come tell us what it does to people's vision. <laughs> I was kidding. I'm not telling you to try it, but the uh, but it doesn't impair people's vision. And also, uh, just to correct you on the just to correct you on the suicide aspect. There's, there's, there's an, like an extremely, extremely, almost non-existent statistic of suicides. On when, what, Luke, what he had mentioned, I was just bringing up, is that there's almost no suicide. Okay, but like, what are, is it, are we talking specifically about LSD? Are we talking about like all drugs? Because like meth is never a good idea. Yeah, we're only discussing. Actually, we're not even discussing LSD or any other drugs. Okay, only. We're just not that either. We're talking, we're talking about mystic. No, we're t- not even talking about plants. We're talking about mystical experiences, and things like meth don't induce mystical experiences. Well, for some people it might. We're, we're actually talking about hallucinogenics, which could include psilocybin. Uh, you know, which yeah, but that's not that's not speed. You know, 
no, no. We're, we're not discussing opiates, and we're not discussing meth, and we're not discussing cocaine, and we're not discussing <laughs> all these things that, like, kill people. We're not talking about any of that stuff. Okay, okay we're talking about what they're studying in, like, Johns Hopkins University right now, in UCLA and Harvard. These are okay, yeah. the, the USDA, is that what they're called? They're doing a test on USDA has, has reopened up the ability to study these things because... They have. Uh, did you not know we were making a distinction with drugs? Yeah, no, no. Oh, we were making. Yeah. We're making a distinction, and all drugs. Like, no, we're making we're a. We're making a very strong distinction. Uh, can you, let's make a table for two. Can you join him and let these this couple sit together? Ready to doing a test at Johns Hopkins. Wrap it with with something again. So yeah. So Ezra is bringing up that they're doing a. Uh, they want to see what it does. They're doing a psilocybin experiment in Johns Hopkins University with with magic mushrooms, with psilocybin. Rabbis. On the, on, you heard that? That Johns Hopkins University is... Rabbits or rabbis? Rabbis. Rabbits make sense, though, because Jerusalem's having an epidemic of rabbis. I thought they have an epidemic of rabbis. We're having a rabbi epidemic. Rabbis, but... You're a rabbi, but... Okay, guys, let's let's focus in. Um, anyway, but what they uh, what they did discover, what they have discovered with these plants that we're talking about, which are not these are not very far from the the war on drugs drugs. That's not what we're talking about. We also would like people not to be taking those dangerous things. So the um, what they did find though is that uh, a couple things. One is uh, that depression is relieved with a one single dose. Is in laboratory experiments with. We're talking about. Oh, we're talking about with. I said with one dose, people's depression is relieved forever, having never come back to it. That's impossible in the medical world. Um, not only that, but they have. Uh, they have. Uh, you know, I suggest just googling. I don't want to give you all the stats, but uh, one thing's for sure is that as and one more stat just to know about is because we have a lot of dealing with PTSD for soldiers. Mm. And so they're, u- they're giving soldiers who have post-traumatic s- uh, stress disorder who are suffering horribly. And we don't seem to have an answer for them, meaning uh, nothing seems to work. But a matter of one to three doses of these plants, you know, in the laboratory with double-blind experience experiments. This is full-on rigorous, place? rigorous. They're giving them psilocybin. psilocybin. So r- that's a mushroom. It's a fungus. They're with with heavy rigorous testing, meaning double blind, using different amounts. Highly, uh, you know, these are these are serious uh, serious um, experiments, um, but they're coming away cured of their PTSD, which is uh, it's astounding, it's astounding. So they're so it's a on the one hand, it's uh, remarkable that the governments have finally, you know, come around to allowing them to experiment with this. And the other is that it's, <laughs> there must be some pretty remarkable scientists that have allowed them to do this. And also, the, the first ones they got permission for were not soldiers. The first one they got permission for were terminally ill people. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to convince the USDA that you're giving terminally ill people, like cancer, like they're terminally ill, they're dying. Like, there's no way to prevent that. They're going to be dying. But could we at least uh, get rid of the the anxiety and stress that's coming with this kind of impending doom and using a dose of this, one dose. You know, they realize our whole experience of pharmaceuticals for helping people is you're now on it. You know, you live on this stuff now. You get that? You miss a dose, you're going to have a whack day. You better get back on it the next day. We're talking about one dose and no other doses. Anyway, they've been... uh, They've been able to move them up an entire, I don't know if you know about psychological lingo, but an entire deviation in well-being. And they seem to have come to terms and are at peace with their impending doom uh, after one dose of this stuff. So to to make something illegal like that, you know, you'd have a lot of answering to do. You know, meaning meaning you're going to be answering to God. If If you're making something like that illegal... And causing s- sufferers to continue in their suffering when in a matter of, in a properly guided experience, uh, not that you could ever guide anyone there, you know. 
No, there's no side effects later on at all. Once it's out of the system, it's out of the system, and it's there's no brain damage, there's no side effects, there's zero impact on the person physically, zero impact. You just if you have to understand more about what the... Some of these previous drugs that have existed 10, 15 years ago, people, you know, they had issues with birth defects, and they didn't know then. We're not talking about pregnant women here, and, uh, and I don't know what the real stats are of pregnant women taking these things, but uh, I think most pregnant women generally are very careful, which brings us up to another topic of... Uh, Pot smoking married men whose wives are pregnant is uh, it's it, pot is a very dangerous drug. You you got to hear the end of the sentence. Pot is a very dangerous drug. Marijuana is a dangerous drug to be smoked alone without one's significant other. Um, it's fine once or on one offs, but when someone's doing it regularly while their pregnant wife is not doing it because she's you know, she doesn't want to smoke. Maybe you can, but I had good, good luck finding the woman who's willing to do that, you know. So, anyway, the um, what happens is they just had nine months with him in Disneyland and her on the ground. So, because he keeps taking off into Never Neverland on his marijuana, and she's protecting the baby, but the problem is, is her head's here, and his head's there. And... Um, it's fine he comes back, but somehow when he comes back, she's like grown pointed ears and fang teeth. And, and suddenly the rest of the kids have become the devil. And the, whereas a couple who, who enjoys it together stays on the same page, it's, it's, you know, then you can start discussing the pros and cons of it. But the cons of it are very clear when only one of the couple is involved in it. And the other is uh, the other subject is that when she finally has the baby after nine months, many women don't want to smoke while nursing. You know, could you understand not wanting to smoke while nursing? It makes sense. Like, like when you do meditation, it's the same effect. Sure. Yeah, but it takes like a long time. I do meditation time. and I feel good with meditation. Like every time I meditate, yeah. So. Uh, for sure, the mystical tradition in, in uh, is meditation is going to be a big, uh, a big portal, a big doorway for this. It takes forever. Okay, so back to 1967. So in 67, six-day war, on the sixth day of the sixth sphere, Israel gets back its biblical territory. And this is 1967. Um, gets back biblical territory. We got the Temple Mount, and uh, which is I've already shown on this video. Actually, I went to the window for a moment. And the, and then the hippie movement of America takes place, and the call towards the east. Now, what is the call towards the east? Because all those hippies in out there in America and Europe, they weren't like running to the tefillin stand, you know. Let me put a oh wow, like this is really far out LSD. Let me go to the tefillin stand and put on some black boxes, you know, like gee. Black boxes well, must be worth they, it. They went to India and they became enlightened through uh, the Buddhist the, uh, Dalai Lama. All this guy Dalai, could teach my class for me. All, all Keep going. Dalai, all the Dalai Lama's uh, managers, all the people that manage his business are Jewish. All the Hindu, a lot of the Hindus also have Jewish uh, converts. Uh, uh, Guru Maharaji, uh, Divine Light, all the, they all went to the East. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. So they went eastward. All these, and many of them Jews, just because it's the nature of Jews is to search. Now, Jews have been brainwashed in a big way by Westernism. And you may be of those Western people. If you're watching this live or if you're sitting in this room, Jews have been highly influenced by the West. But we're not Westerners. And in fact, Judeo-Christian uh, values to us is like, a, in a way, it's kind of an oxymoron, because uh, because we're we're from a very mystical tradition. We're not we're not from you know Western values. Like people love to equate Judaism with Western values. We are so not Western. It's a joke. And if you look at the Book of Noah in the Torah, if you look at the Book of Noah, you'll see that Noah has three sons. And those three sons are Yafet is the oldest one, then there's Shem is the middle one, and then there's Cham. Now Yafet, you know the word Yofi, Luke? You heard the word Yofi? What's it mean? 
Beautiful. Yeah, good. <laughs> but what it, what it means, we have many words for beauty in Hebrew. The one that's talking about just an externally beautiful thing is the word yofi. Yofi means just externally beautiful. So like if your wife puts on a beautiful dress and, you know, she looks good, you tell her yofi. You know, you look, you look mod yafa, yeah, which I think is a cruel name to call a woman. Um, yafa, because she doesn't always feel so yafa. But everyone's going, it's like me being named Yom Tov. And what do you do on a down day if your name's good day? You know, it's like being named Yafa. You know? So, anyway. So, so the word Yafet to expand, like expansionist. Exter- it means external beauty and expansion. Now, the next son name is named Shem, which comes for all the Semitic nations. And what does the word Shem mean? Name. It means name. Shem means name. And what is naming things? Naming things is meaning, meaning orientation. So like you're all in this room, you have nothing to gain here on your external beauty, meaning you're, you're, you're not going to get anything out of this class other than deeper meaning in your life. And you're drawn here for that. You want that deeper meaning. A lot of people do. You don't have to be Semitic to want deeper meaning, but you've got to be Semitic maybe to, to like make that your single-minded like focus is meaning orientation. Is, that's a very Semitic thing. And then the last son's name is Cham. Cham means hot, and it's more instinctual people. People are really instinctual in their nature. They're not going to be big thinkers necessarily. They're not going to be very meaning-oriented, but they're going to be very body-oriented. Now, isn't it interesting that Noah's Ark parks on Ararat Mountain, and from Noah's Ark comes Noah... Three sons, three wives, including Noah's wives, so four wives, and they proliferate into the planet. Now, most people, at least with Western sentiments or modern people, do not take Noah's Ark literally, right? I mean, were you taking Noah's Ark literally? Not too many people take Noah's Ark literally. I know in, even in the Jewish observant community, not too many people take it absolutely literally. But what do we see in the world? Well, if you look at the names of Noah's sons, it gets pretty interesting because it talks about where who the names of the descendants who went out into the world. And, you know, the Torah, if the Torah didn't say this, I don't think anyone could possibly um, say this, but the Torah does say it. And it gives an actual description of the descendants of Noah's children. And it goes like this. Um, here, listen to these names. And these are the sons of Yafet. Yafet, remember what it means? What's it mean? Beauty. What kind of beauty? Deeper, external? External. external. And is and what else did it mean? I gave a second meaning. Expansion. Expansion, good. So listen listen who these people are. You may not recognize all these names, but here they go. Gomer. <laughs> Gomer Pyle. Remember Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Magog, interesting name if you know something about Judaism, because there's some Armageddon battle at the end of days where Magog's involved. Um, Madai, ready for the next one? Yavan. Who's Yavan? Greece. The Greeks. The Greeks, meaning Europe, are direct descendants of Yofi, of Yafet. They're the direct descendants. Well, what can you tell me? Uh, it goes on Tubal, Mesek, Tiras. Ashkenaz, you ever heard the term Ashkenaz? Which ones are those? Polish. What area of Europe are those? Russian, Polish, German. So German, it's the the middle area of Western Europe, or Ashkenaz. That's us us white boys in this room, are of Ashkenazi uh, tradition. So So this is the Torah saying that the people who will go populate are going to be populating where? Europe. Now tell me, what do we know about Europe? External beauty? Whoa, Renaissance, I promise you, was not by coincidence going on over there. Okay, that was where the Renaissance, I think they're, I think they're still waiting for their Renaissance around this part of the world. You know, but <laughs> over there was Renaissance. Over there was, uh, was the, the, anyone who's seen uh, Athens, like anyone seen the ruins of Athens, I've been there. Wow. Like, I mean, these, <coughs> these people knew what they were doing, but not only know what they were doing, they're expansionists. And I've been surfing in Indonesian jungles 
where I'm literally, I mean, you, you're like with a, with a little Javanese guy with a machete getting you through the jungle just to get to the surf spot. And, and while we're going through, we get to a Dutch church. <coughs> it hasn't been used in a couple hundred years, but I'm like, what is this? A church? Like, that's not even possible. And he says, well, Europeans are, you know, it says the little Java guy, he's like, Europeans are, you know, they get around. You know, they get around. You know, we don't get, I mean, the wandering Jew gets around, but Israel, we never wanted anything more than our ancestral lands. Like, leave us alone, you know, like, like let us learn our books and we're good. But they move around, and you want to know something else? I was surfing in a, another jungle uh, in another time. When I get to where, you know, the, the place I'll be staying, my little bungalow in the jungle, and a uh, bungalow in the jungle, and, and what do I find? Remember Jethro Tull? Of course. So, where there's a bungalow I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the jungle, well, that's all right for me. Yeah. So, anyway, you know Jethro Tull at all? Where are you Flute, from? Flute Canada? It's all right, I don't think Jethro Tull ever went to Canada. Yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Uh, his real name was Ian Anderson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like. I actually switched with him the other day. I, I actually met, met him. He's got a very strong Irish accent. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. He's played Jerusalem many times. He loves playing here, and we love listening to him. But we wish he wouldn't speak between the songs. <laughs> it's a little foul mouth, you know. It's Jerusalem. I had some friends who walked out. Really? Because you know, he was swearing. Yeah, he just. He couldn't do anything right. He couldn't do anything right. But when he was playing, we were very happy. Anyway, uh, what are we talking about again? Oh, so I'm in the jungle, and they take my bungalow, and what do I find there? Yeah, I mean, this is a shocker. I find, like, a whole village of little, little Indo, you know, uh, Aboriginal kids, you know, and parents and grandparents sitting around a palm tree. So I'm like, what's going on? Is this some kind of, like, ceremony or something? But then when I get in there and get to my bungalow, I can see what they're all staring at. I thought there was like some idolatry or something. You know, like you know, there's a lot of idolatry down there in Southeast Asia. So, so I'm thinking like, okay, what's the idol? Guess what it was? It was a big flat screen. And uh, on the top of the palm tree was a satellite dish. Uh, <laughs> and they had a generator. They had a generator keeping the whole thing going. Anyway, they never left that spot. Meaning, meaning I was in my bungalow just sleeping up a bit. Coming down, surfing, coming back, going to the bungalow, coming down, surfing, coming back, bungalow. That's all I was doing down there. And they never left the... But where does that come from? And the answer is it comes from the West. Because West expands and they learned how to do it virtually. Just like this room, like my phone right now is on is on uh, Bluetooth. Uh, not Bluetooth. <laughs> it's also on YouTube and it's also going internationally. But it's also on... Uh, I'm not... I'm using Wi-Fi right now. And we've just learned how to, like, expand. Westerners, did I say we? I am so sorry. God forgive me. Can lightning hit this part of the building? Westerners have taught the world how to expand. And Jews are really good at that, too. And our high tech is beyond belief in this country. But one sec, one sec. Hold it. Hold it. I love this guy. You're not a bad student yourself. You guys don't realize the more noise you make, the... The higher, uh, in my eyes, you rise. So, anyway, but we're doing good. We're doing good. That's Yafet. All the way, like, literally from the Torah telling us that this boy, who a mythical story that sounds like it couldn't be true, somehow populates Western civilization. Now, Shem, who are those names? Well, I'm not going to go through all of them. Well, maybe I will by heart. Shem Apakshad Shelach Erech Peleg Reusru Nachor Terach Abraham Abraham who is a Shemite he's a Shemite he's from the tribe of Shem and the word you guys I'm sure are all familiar with the word anti-Shemitism yeah because it's from Semitic it means being against the the Semitics or the Shemites now who are the Shemites so the Torah goes on to explain that the Shemites all the people that inhabited this part of the world, this whole area here, is Semitic. The Mesopotamia, you know, Israel, going eastward, it's going to be all the way to India, are going to be Shemites, okay? These are Shemites, 
meaning-oriented people. Now, I'm just going to quickly, uh, just a cursory explanation of Ham. The descendants of Ham, the Shemites I did by heart just because I'm a, a Shemite. But uh, here goes uh, uh, Ham is the one called Hot. Um, they are, uh, ready for this? The sons of Ham are Kush. What's Kush? Black. Kush is Ethiopia. They are black, yes. It does. In modern Hebrew, it means that. But but we're talking about civilizations here. So this is Ethiopia. Then Mitzrayim. What's Mitzrayim? Egypt. Egypt is North Africa. Put, Canaan. Canaanites, that's here. And then uh, many other names uh, that you'd need to know more about Africa with. Yeah, please. No, no, no. no. Take that. That's a freshie. Take that. Yeah. So, what would you say? Who's Jewish? Oh, we're not going to discuss like lost tribes right now. I just—it's too big for our subject to talk about people coming. You know, a lot of people around the world feel like they're lost tribes. So that's an amazing subject, but we're not going to—we're not going to deal with that right now. So the Rastafarians, <laughs> but we know why that is. They went to West India. <laughs> wait, wait, one sec. It's slave boats. Okay, listen. Yeah. Okay. The, but check out how it works. You got the Hamites, more instinct, are Africans. They're also by very interesting Kabbal- the Kabbalists have taught us for years, for millennia that the Chinese are also from Ham, are from the instinct. An interesting fact, don't know much to talk about there, except I always thought that was strange. But guess what? Guess what today's, uh, you know they do a lot of genealogical studies today of like where people move around, you know? So the, uh, guess what? Chinese actually are from North Africa. No. Yeah. From North Africa, they found a full DNA land bridge from uh, here to there. Yeah, crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always took it as like a Kabbalistic, like it was like a Kabbalistic moment of faith to say that 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 they were that they were you know Hamites. But in the end, there they, it's it, that that's the that's the latest science. I mean, science is always changing, and maybe it'll change, but it hasn't changed. I I saw the findings twenty years ago. Where did I find them? Front page in L.A. Times. It's a little strange, but they they're the ones who reported it. Um, but I think that is the current science as well. Now, whoa, what's up? Yeah. So listen, listen up, listen up. So the Shemites are these meaning-oriented people. Well, look what happens. As soon as you leave Europe, cross the Mediterranean on your little jet ski, you get to Tel Aviv. Okay, maybe you hop over Tel Aviv because it's very Western. But then it just gets very Semitic, very meaning-oriented, especially when you get to Jerusalem. But when you go further east, it gets more meaning-oriented, more meaning-oriented. You should know Jordanians live super simply. It's a Semitic area. And then you get to India, where you got a billion people or could be living in mud huts. And it's all meaning orientation. Now, in 67, when that mystical induction took place in the West, many, many people, including a lot of Jews, with an, you know, Jews are always out of proportion in every like movement like that, but a lot of Jews go eastward. And many of those eastward-moving Jews, on their way back to the West, jumped into Israel, like saying, hey, you know, we're going to fly over Israel anyway, I'm getting off my flight, and I'm going to go to Israel. They come to Israel, you know, probably wearing, like, saffron sheets. You know, they're probably wearing bed sheets when they showed up here. They meet the rabbis, and the rabbis are talking about the mystical traditions of Judaism, and find their way to yeshivas, and he got to hang out with these guys, and I got to have them as my rabbis, where this mystical tradition that was founded on these plant medicines or, or a chemical compound that we brought up before LSD, and which began this whole thing. Now, in our last minute together, I'd like to share with you something shocking. 
and that is the um, death of Abraham's wife. His name was Sarah, and she passes away, and Abraham remarries. And it says like this. Abraham remarries, and... And... Sorry, one sec. Sarah's death. Incense. I want you all to think a lot about India while I'm talking right now. Abraham, Brahmin, Brahmin, what's Brahmin mean? Brahmin is the bull. It's the highest caste. There's four castes of people in India. The highest caste is called Brahmin. So listen, Abraham proceeded and took a wife whose name was Keturah, incense. And she bore to him all kinds of names, which are all the names of the books of Hinduism, um, including other types of uh, spirit mysticism of India, uh, of Hinduism. Zimram, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, Yokshan, Bagat, Shiva, and Didan. And the children of Didan were Ashurim, Latushim, the Umim, the children of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanukh. Aveda is probably the most famous book of all. The Aveda the is the, the Vedas of. The Vedas of the Hare Krishna. And Elda. All, all these are descendants of Keturah. You got that? Mm. So now, he has these, he has six sons. And then, and then listen to the next line. This is a very important line. It says, Abraham gave all, underline the word all, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the concubine children, meaning Keturah, who were Abraham's, Abraham gave gifts. What's the obvious question? If he gave all he had to Isaac, what are the gifts? And our rabbis tell us the gifts had to do with spiritual gifts. They were not material gifts. Then he sent them away from Isaac. Now, if he sent them away, I know it's away from Isaac, so that's superfluous that it mentions Isaac. You don't need Isaac's name there. We know where Isaac stayed. We're going to follow the life of Isaac for the next couple chapters. So, away from Isaac, it says, meaning keep those Hindus and Buddhists away from the Jews, basically. Keep them away from Isaac, his son. Like, oh, thanks for, thanks for letting us know Isaac's Abraham's son. We knew that, too. But, like, stay away from my boy, basically. While he was still alive. Who's he? Abraham. While Abraham was still alive. Well, that's also a weird sentence. How can Abraham send someone away if he's dead? Obviously he's alive. So what does it mean? Get away from Isaac. Get away from my progeny, my son, meaning my descendants of Israel. Stay away from them while I'm alive, says Abraham. Eastward to the lands of the east. Well, it turns out that Hindu... And Indian historians say that Hinduism came from the west of the Euphrates at the exact time of Abraham's life. Lo and behold, the Holocaust hit us over 70 years ago. It ended. It was like the last nail in the coffin of Judaism, which had basically died, suffered a terrible death in Europe. Uh, it was dying the whole way through, but and then it finally just got decimated in Europe and then many of us like you and myself were raised with dead Judaism mm -hmm. you know I was raised with completely dead Judaism I mean beyond it was rigor mortis you know I call it, I called this the temple I grew up in Sinai I called it cyanide cyanide temple it just became a cultural religion oh, like so it. you yeah, it was Lalatka's plate. You know. We lit Hanukkah candles, you know. Like. Yeah, I just brought, I just found one of these Jews off the wall, actually. And I brought him to my house. I'm just finishing up this very important last part. I brought one of these Jews off the wall to my house, and we were washing. Everyone was washing for bread. And when he washed for bread, instead of saying the blessing over the bread, he said, he said, Lahadlik Ner Shel Hanukkah. He said, the Hanukkah blessing. This guy off the wall. So, anyway, long story short, is Judaism dies after the Holocaust. Like, the Holocaust was the final nail, like, gone, you know. And we were raised in, like, this dead Judaism era. Except what happens? 1967, Six-Day War, Bolshevik movement begins in, in Israel, the spiritual back to Judaism. Judaism's, like, revamped in Israel. Outside of Israel, LSD hits the streets. They go to the east... What are Jews doing in the East? It said, you can't be with Isaac. And the answer is, while I'm alive. But now I'm dead. And once I'm dead, now 
Today, you know what? We want to know something crazy. There are more Jews today. They know this. Seriously, they did a poll. There are more Jews going to yoga today in the U.S. than going to synagogue. When Abraham dies, then there's a reconnection of Abraham's children because Isaac's one of Abraham's children and these six sons, them and their descendants were sent eastward, come back together when all the mystical traditions come together. And you want to notice the last line before I give you the, you know, H. Tor's really greatest lecture is the last line is that when we say Shema Yisrael, have you ever thought about how ethnocentric that is? Like the most important line in the whole Torah that God is one says, listen, Israel. And forget the other seven billion people. Listen, Israel. Well, guess what? Rashi also felt it was ethnocentric and felt he had to say something. So when you click on the word Yisrael, Rashi says, isn't that ethnocentric? He doesn't use those words. And then he says, now only the Jews have a tradition that would get the fact that we don't even exist, which goes full circle to your point, is that we don't even exist. Those leaves falling off the tree are part of this incredible divine matrix. And it's all one. There is disintegration between I and thou. There's a disintegration between me and other, that everything's divine. That the Jews can get that now. However, it'll only be in the end of days that the whole world gets it. Well, the Jews lost that tradition. And it turns out it was being preserved the whole time by the six boys. By the, the, the Abraham's kids were a time capsule in India for when, the Jew, when Judaism finally dies and they lose their tradition, that it will be actually reignited by this little, little time capsule that Abraham sent eastward away from Isaac while he was still alive, that once he died, meaning once the Jews lost their spirituality, they could get it back. And hence we have an incredible mystical tradition now in the Jewish world that's like blossoming unbelievably and may we all see it come into full fruition with the coming of Mashiach the rebuilding of Jerusalem you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com